This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 224. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful guest for you that I know you're going to love. His name is Dr. Zach Mills. He's the head veterinarian and vice president of medical performance at The Vets and a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army Reserve. He joined the U.S. Army Reserve in 2003 as a member of the Veterinary Corps. Dr. Mills has had a storied career ranging from epidemiology, biosecurity, private veterinary practice, military service in Baghdad, leading animal health, pharm- animal health pharmaceutical companies, and most recently with a company that's revolutionizing vet care industry, and it's called The Vets. Welcome to the podcast. Zach, I'm Julie. assuming I can call you that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, first I'm name so basis. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here, and thank you for taking the time and extending the invitation. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to learn about what you're doing. And the question that I ask every veterinarian and almost every guest on my podcast, the first question is, can you tell us your veterinary story? Because we all started somewhere down this road into vet med. And I, I just kind of like to hear how how your journey went, as much as you want to share. Sure. Uh, the the journey into veterinary medicine is uh, it's an interesting one. I, it's interesting to me. It's interesting to my, to my parents. Um, you know, I, when I went in, I'm from Kansas, grew up in Kansas. And when I was going to Kansas State University, um, I fully thought that I was going to go to medical school. I was uh, fully down that line. Um, and then maybe even going to uh, to law school as well. My my father's oh. an attorney and he was a judge and his father was the same. But as I got closer and closer to graduation, uh, medicine was looking less attractive, but I loved the science of it. And I put an application into vet school and and got accepted on the first go round. And so I, I knew what I was going through uh, right away. So I, I went into to vet school in Kansas and Kansas State and just loved it. I um, I didn't, I, I really only been around uh, companion animals at that point, so I wasn't aware. So I learned a lot about uh, the, the mixed animals and the equine side. In Kansas, uh, Kansas State, we don't have tracking or didn't have tracking at that time. So they're producing a veterinarian that can go out and work anywhere in the state. So the education is broad and it allows you to, to pass the boards and, and essentially go out and, and do good things. Um, during school, though, I got, became really interested in infectious diseases and started doing uh, a master's degree at Kansas State, working with Debbie Briggs in in her rabies lab. But uh, that I, infectious diseases, zoonotic diseases, those types of things have just fascinated me, where they they transmit between um, animals and people. Um, took that same interest and went out and did a. Um, was a house officer at Colorado State University and continued graduate school out there. Um, was doing biosecurity out there. That's how I got there. Um, and I was three years at Colorado State. Following uh, the the time there, I went into private practice. Um, I felt like I hadn't done hadn't had my hands on animals at all since starting veterinary school, and I'm eight years into it. Uh, so I went into private practice for a few years down in the Denver metro area and also in the Evergreen area. Um, thought that I might at that point. Uh, I was working with uh, a solo practitioner in the mountains in Evergreen. And it was stunning. Every day I loved going oh, to work. Yeah. And um, yeah, fascinating. But I got approached by a pharmaceutical rep and said, have you ever considered uh, 
uh, the animal health industry. And she uh, worked with, with uh, Pfizer Animal Health and said, we'd love to have you apply. And I did. And, and that's when I got my start in, in that direction down uh, the animal health industry. Uh, multiple positions at Pfizer Animal Health. Uh, I was there through the transition into Zoetis. Uh, positions there allowed me to get into people leadership and moved around the country um, doing different things and, and ended up at uh, in Kalamazoo working at the R&D facility there as well doing external innovation. So helping to bring new products into the company. So non-traditional veterinary things. Um, was recruited from there uh, by a friend of mine named uh, Mike Hamby, who was leading the, the group of uh, uh, the team at Marielle and went down and was at Marielle briefly and helped them to, uh, through the transition into Boehringer Ingelheim, um, led a team through that transition for the veterinarians and led that team for five years with uh, Boehringer as well um, before uh, joining uh, the vets. And the vets was, uh, I started conversations with them. So it's now April of 2023. I started the conversations in May of 2022 uh, with them. So a long time. Um, one of the things that they started doing at the beginning that was pretty interesting was working on a, a medical board. Um, they wanted to be able to have their decisions based in the evidence. So evidence-based decisions. And so they're, they're based in science. Um, in veterinary medicine, there are some things you can go to and find a good evidence for why we do it. Others, we rely on subject matter experts. And so this is where they wanted me to come in at first, but then they created the position, asked me to apply for it as a full-time position. And uh, six months later, uh, signed on the dotted line with them. And so knowing that they wanted to base their decisions in science was very important. And then two other things that were very important about the vets to me, one is that they're providing access to care where animals might not have received uh, other, otherwise been seen. So the model is to go into the homes. Uh, we don't, we're mobile, but we don't have uh, uh, mobile surgery suites. We don't do the exams outside. We actually go into the houses and we work uh, side by side with the, with the owners uh, right there with us. And that delivery of care has been so well received. Uh, the company continues to grow. Um, we're in eight states now in 16 cities and growing. We're expanding into new cities now. So that access to care, we know that the people want it and the conversations are, they're, they're amazing. And then the other piece on that one was about helping the veterinarians be able to, to deliver the type of medicine that they learned in veterinary school. They, they want to be able to describe what they, they know and, and share that science and work with these people to deliver that best care. And and I know that it's working because I hear the testimonials when I'm doing rides with these veterinarians and I hear these owners saying, thank you. That's, that's the first time often that somebody's had taken that much time to explain what's going on with their animals. So, it, you know, it's fascinating. Um, that, that's the, that's, I would say that's the civilian career. And that's how we got to this point on this one. Uh, mil the military one has been running parallel. Uh, for over 20 years now, uh, 2023, I, I signed on the dotted line there, uh, joined with a, a veterinary um, treatment facility, VTF, uh, in Denver, Colorado, when I was there. I've uh, been fortunate to move around with them as well. So I got moved to a unit in Green Bay, Wisconsin, a civil affairs uh, unit, a battalion there, deployed with that group to, um, to Baghdad, was there for six months. Um, came back and I, I could have moved back to the to the vet core side, but I stayed in the civil affairs side in preventive medicine, and and it's just been it's been wonderful uh, to be able to do that. Um, 
I was based in uh, Green Bay, uh, moved down to Puerto Rico with the Army as well, uh, came up to the Washington, D.C. area, been at battalion strength, um, brigade strength, and now I'm at a, a, a KCOM strength and I'm in uh, Fort Meade in Maryland. And so we oversee a lot of veterinarians and the things that we're doing. Um, they're really helping. They're making a difference with our partner nations and the ones that we want to work with. So in the reserve, for someone that doesn't know how that all works, in the reserve, are you actually acting as a veterinarian and taking care of the pets or are you leadership and overseeing the veterinary corps? Like what exactly are you doing? Yeah, well, when I started, um, these smaller ones, the VTFs, veterinary treatment facilities, we take care of military working dogs. That's a okay. big part of the mission. The other part of that mission is uh, doing food inspection. People don't realize that the food mm -hmm. that the Department of Defense <laughs> uh, consumes is, is inspected by veterinarians. And uh, right. the veterinarians got selected to do these because we're trained in comparative pathology. We know what normal looks like, and we are able to quickly identify abnormal. So that's where I started. Um, when I moved over into the civil affairs side, um, as far as having our hands on the animals, it'd be, it's a different situation. So we're going into, the first one was into um, Baghdad and Iraq and in those areas in that, that area of operation. And we worked with uh, the local governments and the local uh, teams that were there trying to identify veterinarians and then go out and help them to deliver the care. We didn't want so much to deliver it ourselves because when we leave, it can uh, fall apart. But if we're able to help right. stand up some other organizations and allow them to be able to do it, then that's what we would do. Um, most of the time, that worked out well. Um, occasionally, the veterinarians that we would contract with, they didn't show up. And so we would still step in and do some of the, the vaccinations, preventive health, deworming things on the animals that we're doing there. No dogs and cats, really. Um, it was all, um, livestock. all livestock, exactly what it was. Hmm. And same thing now. Um, uh, I, as a subject matter expert within preventive medicine at the KCOM level, so a civil affairs command level, uh, we do a lot of advising both to the country partner nations that we work with as internally with our teams as well. And then we also, if it's a, a conflict zone, we try to help people identify uh, what to look for uh, when they're out on, on the roads and looking and, and just doing their day-to-day -day jobs that might be impacted by agriculture or animal health and see what we might be able to have, uh, make an impact with that as well. So a lot of training and coaching. Yeah. And it sounds like it's something that you enjoy because you've stayed in it a long time, huh? I'll tell you that it oh. is my, my good friend, Jeff Ferris, uh, he's a brigadier general now. He and I deployed to um, to um, Baghdad on that first go around in 2007, eight. And uh, he's a he's now a brigadier general. And he will always say that iron sharpens iron. And I, I would absolutely attribute that quote to him. I'm sure he got it from somebody. Right. But um, meaning that because I'm in on my civilian career, it makes my military career even better because the civilian career you get. Uh, the training coaching and communication and team building and in the military uh, you get trained in leadership and and working in austere environments and so being in the military makes me a better uh, business person and being a business person makes me better on the other two so i i absolutely uh, love that um, and i do think that nobody teaches leadership like the military um, and the people that are in there in the reserves uh, are they're just they're extraordinary most of these people are working two jobs um, civilian careers and and also a high level uh, where they are now. And, and so just the exposure to the people, I, I learn things new every time I'm, I'm around these people. Yeah, that's fascinating. So off the Army Reserve subject, but back on to maybe the vets, I don't know. Um, what is your thought, because you've been in the industry a long time, what is your thought on the struggles that we're having now? 
we started with a little bit with the access to care, but what are the primary challenges that you see in vet med that we need to work on and solve? I mean, that's kind of why we're here, right? Yeah, I, and, and they're real. Um, there's a couple of things that are going on right now. Um, I think that we're, as a profession, we're not producing enough veterinarians right now to take care of the need. I yeah. see this. Um, I'm, I'm friends with most of the deans at the veterinary schools as well and talking with them, friends with those uh, people who are at the AAVMC, so the American Association of Vet Medical Colleges, looking at what we can do. And you can see that the numbers of veterinary schools are starting to expand. Uh, Texas Tech's recently opened one, Arizona's opening one, New Jersey's opening one. They, they continue to expand because the need is absolutely there in these states. Um, California is a massive state and they have uh, two veterinary schools and the University of California only has one right now. I, I, right. There's so much opportunity out there to be able to do that. But with that lack of veterinarian strength in, in, in the business, it happens that the demand is still up. So um, oftentimes if you try to call in and get an appointment, it can be pushed out days or weeks or months at times. Um, that's frustrating. Um, people are trying to get the appointments uh, shorter and shorter and shorter so that they can try to squeeze more, more money in during the day. Mm -hmm. Well, it's making yeah. more money and trying to see more because nobody likes to tell your your, your clients that you can't come in right. for a few weeks. Yeah. And so like all of these things, like, yeah, the drive for the business and trying to drive revenue, trying to see more patients, trying to do all of these things. And uh, just the, the stress that goes along with that. Um, it's one thing if you're seeing five, 10 or 15 patients a day. It's another thing if you're seeing 20, 25, 30 or more a day right. and just trying to push these things through. And, and it creates a lot of stress for people that they just carry on their shoulders all the, all the time. Um, people move from a, a university environment where it's a teaching and it's a, a like it's a nurturing and a cultivating uh, the type of, of uh, things that we want. And then we push them over into these other areas that are uh, just they're high stress, high volume, high movement things. And I, I think it takes their toll. And we see people that are veterinarians that are leaving the profession. Uh, we see people that are veterinarians and, and trying to find new ways of doing things or cutting back on the hours. They want to have a work-life balance. They want to be able to enjoy life. Um, and, and it's not, it's not always possible, um, for people to do it in the systems that we have right now. Um, that kind of leads to uh, the vets as well a little bit for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, Tell me about the philosophy of that. Like what, yeah, so, I understand the access to care part because you're going to people's homes. Yep. And I do understand the veterinarian part of it too, because it does slow it down a little bit, right? Yeah, it's exactly right. So that access to care is trying to see the animals that wouldn't have otherwise be seen. Um, it could be because the owner couldn't come in, can't come in, works from home, the animal doesn't travel well. The owners don't have that much time in their day to put the animal in, drive, sit in traffic and wait and do other things. The we come room. in there in the <laughs> waiting room and the barking and the meowing and the menagerie of, of the animals that you see. And so we're able to go in and deliver it in, in the comfort of their own homes. Oftentimes the animals, uh, not always less stressed. Some of the animals are really stressed, which is why we're going there. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the heart rate on a cat and the stress levels when you go into a carrier in a car and then in a weight room with dogs barking, you're, you're never going to have uh, normal values when you uh, ex examine that cat, whether it's physical parameters or whether it's taking lab work. So right. it's, it's just, it, that's really nice. So those, those pieces of access to care, treating these animals that might not otherwise be seen. But then with the veterinarians, 
and what we're what we're telling these people on hiring saying instead of having a 15 or 20 minute appointment on unusual what we're trying to do is give people 45 minutes or 60 minutes to be able to go in because we have to set up in there a little bit and you can start to have the conversations um, go through and, and uh, conduct the physical examination. Everything that goes on in a regular exam is just going on in the living room or in the kitchen or wherever is comfortable for the animal. And, and doing so, it allows that veterinarian to see two, three or four appointments in the morning and two, three, four in the afternoon. So six to eight per day instead of 26 to 28 per day. And in doing so, they can slow down and, and ask the questions. They can see the environment the animal lives in. You're taking in more information, and you're able to have that conversation to make sure that you're getting um, sh shared decision-making and buy-in from the owner before you leave uh, and doing it. And so hopefully delivering a higher level of care. Um, we, we don't want to well, – we're not low-cost care. We're del delivering a premium uh, service when we're going in. We want white glove concierge service that, that we're you on your invitation going into your house and working with you to deliver that level of care that uh, that you would expect um, for us to come in and do that. Um, but that time allows us to go through multiple things and, and go through the diagnostics or go through the findings and go through the, the orders with people a little bit better. And and the the feedback. The feedback that I get from the veterinarians that are doing it uh, is is positive. They like what they're doing out there. Then they get a break driving between the two different appointments, a 15-minute break or a 20-minute break, however long the, the drive time is, uh, to be able to collect their thoughts, enter the notes from that appointment, and get ready for the next one. And that type of a break doesn't ever occur on uh, in, 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 in <laughs> a brick sure and mortar doesn't. Facility. Yeah, yeah. No. Even, even your lunch break doesn't always occur, right? When lunch break is uh, situation. It, it's kind of air quotes, right? Like lunch break. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do is I'm going to make phone calls. I'm going to enter notes in. I'm going to do that, and I might get called in on an emergency right. uh, to be able to do those. So it's not it's not always a break. Yeah. So, so practically speaking, how does it work? Like it just because I don't know if you're yeah. hiring veterinarians to do these home care services. There, I'm assuming the corporation's overseeing that. But then does yep. that vet drive their own car? Are they on their own? Do they have technicians available? What happens with like their testing? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, for Share sure. That. Yeah, I actually love talking about it because everyone Good. I talk to about it, they say the, the usual response is, are you in our city yet? Um, because they can't yeah. wait to, to bring us in. Mm -hmm. And so the way that it's set up, uh, right now, uh, we've got we're spread across around the world where our headquarters are. We were started by a group of um, uh, really thoughtful uh, individuals that have, have worked in the startup space and worked in the technology space, and they were looking at veterinary care, saying, "I think we can, I, th I think we can do this a little bit better, and be able to offer something a little bit different." And so, with technology at the core of what we're doing, we're using our own platforms that we've built up to be able to do um, the calling and the scheduling and everything that goes through, and also the mapping that's done and so that's all that the backbone is through the technology pieces that our company is there's their subject matter experts at there's nobody better um, building these types of programs and, and making them and then our veterinarians are uh, we're based in a city and uh, we have a, a a central hub that they're going to be working out of oftentimes we will uh, lease a we work site um, they're big they're metro areas and so uh, we have what we term a city manager. And so that city manager is like a hospital manager and is based at that, that WeWork site. And then at the, in the morning, um, our veterinarians and the vet technicians, they meet, they rendezvous there, they go through their schedules and get everything ready to go back out. And then we have so vans like teams, that they- Like one vet yeah, and one tech, is that how it works? One veterinarian, okay. one technician and a van. And the vans are awesome. all the same. The, 
they're all stocked the same. We have them branded on the outside the same. Um, on the inside, we have power inverters. So we have the ability to do basic lab work in there. We have the ability to do refrigeration in there, um, lock boxes and storage. So it's, it's, it's a clinic on wheels um, that has everything that's in there. It's just when they get to the site then, um, ring the doorbell and then they have the, the scale that they go in, the basic medical bags that are going in based on the type of an examination that it is. Right. And, the, and the, the computer systems and that veterinary and that vet tech, um, they work seamlessly to go through taking that history, um, looking at that animal and, and going through in the physical examination, working with the owner and building that, that team really tightly knit between the owner, the pet, um, the veterinarian and the vet technician. Um, yeah. That city manager in that area oversees up to about five of these teams that are going and we were divided geographically by zip code um they go and work these different areas and then when it gets big enough we open up another city manager and we open up another site and we look at another area to expand with the zip codes as well so um up in a it's new kind city that's kind of how the it's same, same type of thing so if right. we're going to be opening up in atlanta we'll have a central location find a city manager to be able to open that office site up, start hiring veterinarians, vet technicians, get them familiar with uh, the way that we want to uh, organize from a zip code space and, and then start uh, overlaying with the advertising and promotion to let people know that we're in the space doing the mobile care and coming in. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to hear you talk about this because I know a lot of veterinarians aren't familiar with home care. I mean, there are home care vets, obviously, and there have been for years, but you know, at my practice years ago, we started doing house calls because yeah. some people need them, you know, certain birds or certain, you know, people that couldn't get out of the house. And that is a really fascinating thing to do is to go into someone's home and treat that pet with the people. I mean, I had some of my most fascinating experiences doing that and um, good and bad, you know, like some of them yeah, are yeah. bad. But I really, I agree with you that it's a very unique and fascinating way to do what we do. And so it, I like that model. It, it sounds interesting. It, it, and it is. And, and, it, and it's amazing, too. If you go to any veterinary practice around the United States right now and say, how often do you get asked if you do mobile calls? Do you go do house calls? Do you come to the house? And, and every single clinic is saying, I not only get asked, but I get asked multiple times a day. Mm -hmm. and, and now we're able to do that. And if we can partner with these people as well, because we don't do all things um, right. for all things. We don't, we're, right now, we're not doing surgeries there. We don't do anesthesia. We don't do dentistry. If it's advanced with a hospitalization, it's sort of beyond the scope of what we're doing. Right. But we're still able to do basic medicine. And we really are priding ourselves around uh, preventive medicine and, and elevating the, the standard of care uh, that's being delivered up with a focus on preventive medicine. And and I would really be remiss if I, if I failed to say that because this is what one of the differentiators on this as well as we look at that evidence base and we work with our subject matter experts, what things are, are we going to be able to do and or offer to work with the veterinarians from a diagnostic standpoint or a treatment standpoint to uh, diagnose disease earlier, more often and allow the animal to live longer, happier, healthier lives with the owners and over the long run, hopefully cost the, the owner less because you're picking things up sooner. So based on what the evidence and the expert is saying, running the blood work at, at particular time intervals, trying to pick those up. Um, we do it already. Veterinarians are very good about uh, doing fecals and parasite tests and heartworms, but expanding to try to pick other things up sooner and, and make sure that we're looking at those baselines, just like you would if you were a, a person going in and seeing your physician. Um, they're going to run blood work and, and do these screening things and trying to pick them up um, and trying to pick things up 
before they're causing a problem. And that's really what we're, we're trying to instill in our veterinarians and our vet tech teams, as well as that making it easy for them to go through based on what the evidence is saying around that gold standard of care, to be able to have that conversation with the owners on why we want to do these things and, and what it means in the short term and what it can mean in the long term. So it's, it's, a, it's a cornerstone of the practice that we're doing. And, and, and I think that it's easy to say that when you base it on the evidence and what the science says, that, that conversation becomes very natural with the owners and they, they, they're already inviting us into their homes. They want to deliver the best care. They want to be able to do these things. And so we have those conversations with people about what we can do and we, what we deliver and why. Yeah. Is there a, is there a practical like relationship in the area with the actual brick and mortar practices? So if something does need to be referred into emergency or I can see that this model would be great for maybe um, not necessarily the ER type cases, but more of the urgent care type cases to yep. keep them out of the ERs so that ERs aren't overwhelmed. But is there some sort of like, okay, this dog needs a dental, now it has to go. Is that a, a formal relationship or is it just the client there, figures that out? There, well, we try to help them. So our veterinarians, they live in the communities and they've been practicing there already. And so they know the relationships that are there. Gotcha. And, and, and your point is absolutely on, on target. And as we continue to grow, we'll evolve these relationships and formalize them as well to make sure that we have those in place. And we let them know up front the things that we can do and the, those things that we can't do. Right. And as we, we, but we want to make sure that when we are partnering with somebody that they're delivering that same level of concierge care, white glove service. We, it's, a, it's a service organization. We want to deliver high levels of care and we want the, anybody that we're referring into and out of, whether it's to a GP to do a dental or a, a spay or a neuter, or whether they need to go to a university or a tertiary care facility for intense uh, oncology workups. Those, those relationships have to be there. Um, we're early in the tenure of the company, just over two years now. And so as we continue over the next couple of years as well, um, building those relationships, I think you're going to see more and more of that being uh, formalized. Yeah. And then is there is there something in your mind that this type of service is offering besides slowing down a little bit for the veterinarians, but what does it do for their balance in their life, for their mental health? I mean, that's kind of what I'm all about is getting people to get back to where they really love veterinary medicine. And what do you see about this that gets us back to that? A couple of things on it. Um, one, uh, one of the things that really stresses veterinarians out are it can be emergency medicine. I think if there's a vet that is very good at emergency medicine and there's those that don't like emergency medicine. Right. And, and <laughs> I think that those, those two things. And so for Far the most apart. part, yeah, they're they're far apart, right? Like it's a bimodal curve. Like like if there's those and there's those right. uh, between the two, and and I think that th this is one of the things that it's a little bit more predictable, and I think that that helps to to lower the stress on 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 that as well. Um, also, there are some veterinarians that don't like doing surgery. Um, more and more, we're seeing the distributive medicine where they're coming out of school and now having. 50, 80, or 100 surgeries that they've done, but there's still schools where they might graduate and they've done like a dog and a half, right? Like right. you did one side of the space. It's, it's really scary. No wonder they're so stressed out, right? <laughs> they're stressed. They don't like it. And, and this is a nice place for them to be able to land and still come in, see the animals, do the good care that we're doing, um, whether it's wellness through puppies and kittens, dogs and cats, or the senior dogs and cats, or whether they're seeing a medical cases when they're coming in. 
um, sort of taking the surgery off of the table, taking anesthesia off the table for them as well. Um, that's not to say that in the future we might not start to um, have oper our operations in cities where we'll be able to help people with those and make more continuity of care, um, but we wouldn't be asking everybody to do it. So for those veterinarians that want to practice this type of medicine, this is a great place to go. So you don't have to do some of those things that are the high stressors. You get more space in between the appointments to be able to do your notes and to be able to collect your thoughts before going back in. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I'd say relatively at the end of the day, it's done. Um, you're not going to see emergencies. You're not going to get called back in um, for the most part. You, you still have to enter your notes and send the blood work and get all these, those things in. But you're not going to get called in at midnight or weird things along those lines. And, and I think that, that 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 balance in total allows people to plan a little bit better as well to do the things that they want and practice the medicine they want. You have consistent hours and, and predictability yes. and, and when they're going to have their time off. Yeah, I, I can see where that would be. Um, that that would be a good model for that. Where if you just want your this is this is when I work and then I'm off. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that. So if I change the subject a little bit, and and we'll come back to this the vets more, I think. But um, tell me a little bit about your leadership philosophy, because I'm I'm a student <laughs> of leadership. I love all things leadership, and so um, maybe somebody out there feels the same way. And you've had a lot of experience in that, in industry and in the, the Army Reserve and all. What is, what is your philosophy on leadership and how can people be better leaders? Leadership is, it, it's something that I think anybody can be a leader. And, and in the veterinary industry, like I would tell people on my teams before, companies up to 10,000, 12,000 people, if you're a veterinarian in a vet company, you're a leader. Um, people are going to turn to you sort of regardless of what it is. You're going to be seen as a subject matter expert. And, and you just need to know how to be able to convey that because people want to follow you and follow your lead. Um, I mean, that's at the core of what that means is to be able to go down that right path and a style of leadership as well. And I would say that it, it continues to evolve. It continues to evolve based on the jobs that I've had, uh, the people that I'm exposed to, the leaders that I've had in the military on the civilian side. And, and I look at those people that I want to emulate and want to be like, and I can say that one, um, I, I like servant leadership. I think that it's it's important to Love serve the word. people that you're working for. It's it it matters. It um, it, it it makes a difference in be able to do that. And a leader's job is to to be able to also recognize and support the team members as well. Um, if I can de-emphasize myself as a leader as much as I can to help those people that are on the team to get the rewards and recognition that they deserve, um, I think that that's absolutely vital. Um, as a, far as a leadership style, um, sort of two core tenets, um, I, I would say that um, one is vision. You need to be able to, as a leader, describe a vision of what you see and where you want to be able to go and paint that picture so that you can encourage people to want to follow with you or side by side with you to go in, a, in, a, in one direction. And whether that's in the veterinary side or whether that's in the military side, being able to have that clear communication through that description of what your vision is. Um, is vital. And the second piece is about transparency. Um, I would say that in, in general, people don't like things happening to them. People want to be a part of that decision making. And so the more I can be transparent about how a company works, an operation works, why we're doing things, how we do things, where they fit in, why they fit in, what, all the different contingencies as well, uh, those two things um, are, are really what I try to hang my hat on. 
um, people want to, they want to see how it works and they want to be a part of it. We might not be able to change it, but as long as they can see it and where it's going and understanding why we're doing it, uh, the buy-in goes up. I think that, so those two pieces, transparency and vision, that's a leadership style and the leadership philosophy, being a servant leader. And then um, I'm a big Dan Pink fan. Um, I, his books, uh, I, I pull a lot out of them. But one of the woes that I, that I carry with me constantly is his book uh, that's called Drive. Mm. And it's all about how to motivate people. And he talks about intrinsic motivation and he talks about extrinsic motivation. And so um, when we want to motivate somebody, you take the extrinsic motivators and you, you, you take care of them. Those are the things, money, work hours, environment. Yeah, you're not bribing people. You don't want to no, you don't no, want you, that. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And then this, the, so the intrinsic measures that he's saying that actually drive performance focus on uh, three things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And if you're able to give employees the ability to focus on these and you support them through autonomy, allowing them to be they're veterinarians, they want to do practice the medicine that they've been taught to do. I want to give them the tools that are going to make them the best veterinarian possible. Um, mastery is to be able to take any subject matter expert and, and be that expert within that field and, and master what, you know, maybe it's in medicine, it's around heartworm and heartworm prevention. Maybe it's cardiology and who knows what it is. Maybe it's communication or maybe it's leadership styles right. and then, and then purpose. And if you're able to support people on the purpose that they believe in, um, they'll never want to leave because they believe that it's so strong for them. They're able to do what they want. They're subject matter experts and they have a purpose and a drive. And if we can create a culture that supports those alongside with filling a vision and being transparent on how we're going to get there, um, it can, it can be, it can be masterful, I think. So yeah, it's, and it's, that creates a lot of trust within an organization, I think. Yeah. And trust always the, yeah, the, either the foundation or the cornerstone, whichever way you want to have it, maybe it's all of those from a building standpoint, but I, I think that those, those are the keys. And, and I love talking to people and learning from them as well. So oftentimes if we set goals and objectives, um, it's setting them out there, talking about how we're going to get to it. And if I can get out of the way and watch people go, we can regroup at that next objective and learn from each other. Um, people that are doing it, they want to share what they've done. And for goodness sake, like I don't have all the answers, but right. the people on my team do. And if, if we're able to leverage those and hear them, um, and the last thing I would say on that is that uh, when I say the team has the answers, that's building a diverse team, um, diverse in thought, diverse in background, diverse in culture. That's where your answers come from and finding novel ways of being able to share those. So um, building a diverse team is absolutely vital to everything we're doing. Yeah. If you can't have like-mindedness, we need to have people coming in with different ideas and different solutions, and not everybody has the solution moving forward. So being smart enough to get out of the way and learn from the people that are on my team as well has been uh, really valuable for me. I think that's really key, right? And when you're the leader, you kind of think it ends with you and it doesn't really. <laughs> like if you can let the people like go around you and take off, that's that's when it really becomes oh, yeah. fascinating, right? Yeah. You get back and stand back and watch them do the things. And and you know, we try to hire like highly talented people that are doing extraordinary things with the experience and the breadth of experience of people that are coming in and if they can bring that to bear, um, whether in, in, in the military or whether that's in the vets and bringing them in and watching them, um, that's where that comes from. Yeah. So is there, um, I don't know if there's kind of a written thing, but is there a vision that you see for this company called the vets? Like what is their vision and mission and purpose. And I think we've kind of covered it, but um, 
Yeah. And we just had a town hall uh, last week and we were fortunate to have our, our CEO, uh, Daniel Segas, and he came on and he gave a few minutes on, on the background and why he wanted to start it. Um, and it was, it was powerful and it was heartfelt and, and it was from, it was from the soul and what he wants to be able to do on delivery of the healthcare. And so as, as, uh, we want to go into the homes, delivering that top level of care, being part of that veterinary community and that, that healthcare provider system as we're doing it at the same time, we want to grow and build, uh, uh careers around uh, the veterinarians that are able to do that and create a place where they want to develop and, and come home. Um, I never want this place to be seen as a temporary or a stopgap solution for somebody looking for another career. I want this to be a destination career that helps them to be able to support and grow. Um, and through that, or to sort of Daniel's vision, I would say, um, you know, we're in eight states now. Well, we'd love to be in all 50 states and be even further at, you know, working internationally as well. The healthcare for these pets doesn't stop and start it at the border of any of these states. And it certainly doesn't stop and start at the border of the United States. And so right. being able to grow and expand and, and utilize models like this, leveraging the technology that we've got so we have that scalability, um, I think that we, I think we're really onto something. Yeah, I think you are too. I think it's a really fascinating idea. And um, I, I've talked to uh, one of my coaching clients actually uh, a few weeks ago was talking about it and um, I wasn't really aware of exactly how it all worked. So it was great that, um, you know, you're, you, I stumbled across you or you stumbled across me and we got you to come on the podcast. So tell me um, what I didn't ask. Like, what should we say that we haven't already said? Oh, I, you know, one thing I, I, I work with, with, with veterinary students as well. And, and one thing that I would tell people. Oh that yeah. Let's at, talk about that. Yeah. So the, a couple different things on it. One, I'd say that uh, the future is really bright. Um, being mm -hmm. a veterinarian has offered okay. me the ability to, to like, it's so diverse. Um, I had a, a picture of what I thought a veterinarian would do. And I, I've barely done any of that. My career just keeps going. Um, in different directions. And so being trained as a veterinarian is training you to be a problem solver, taking disparate pieces of information and being able to put them together and make a diagnosis and move forward. And whether that's with a puppy or a kitten or a cow or a horse, whatever that is, it can be applied there. It can be applied in other parts of, of uh, society and, and jobs. And we find veterinarians in all walks of life that are using those same problem solving skills to be able to do it. Right. Um, with the, the people looking at the, the vet school as well, um, get experience early and often. Start looking in elementary and middle and high school and, and, and seeing what that is and uh, consider it as a, as a career or a potential career for people as well. And then I think uh, the advice for people going into the, the workforce is uh, if opportunities come across, uh, never say no without uh, um, pausing and evaluating it uh, mm, because like um, it's... You know, it's so easy to say no. Open mind, it's, yeah. It's so easy to go right down that same path and always say no because change is difficult. Mm -hmm. And if you open up your mind and you're willing to take a chance, uh, the opportunities are limitless. They absolutely are limitless. Yeah, I, I think that that's a great thing to say because veterinary medicine is, I know just from doing this now, how many vets I've talked to and how different everyone's careers have been. And um, just really, really good people are in this profession. They are, and, and their hearts are in the right place and they want to do the right thing and, and being able to leverage that type of power. And, and they're smart, like they're going to veterinary school. They're solving problems and delivering right. medicine. And, 
And uh, the animals aren't telling them what's wrong with them. They don't tell them where it hurts, or at least they don't tell them verbally where it hurts. Right. Uh, so those are the things that you can apply uh, really across the board. Yeah, I love that. So tell people if um, they want to know more about the vets and what you do or more about you or ask any questions um, about anything, burnout and all of that, how can they, how can they find you? Yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find. The vets is easy to find at thevets.com. Um, I love the fact that it's so simple uh, that we uh, <laughs> go on there. And so there's more information about who we are as a company right there, where we're located. We have the maps on there, how to make the appointments and how to book with those. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Zach Mills. Sometimes if you search Zach Mills DVM, I'll usually pop up on that as well. And I'm, I'm responsive to, to those. And that's a really easy way to, to find me is through the LinkedIn. You can also, if you want to email me directly, I'm Zach dot mills at the vets.com very awesome. very easy to bring things through so um I, I've, I've never been one to to not want to give those out because we're we really it's 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 we're one team we want to do the right thing and we want mm-hmm. to be able to do that and the more we can share the information uh the better off we're going to be and so if people want to reach out to me um for heaven's sakes like uh reach out and let's talk about whatever that uh whatever whatever's on your mind whether that's in or around the stress of, of the business or whether that's around the vets and how great a place it really is to work. Got questions about the military and what that might, might mean. I probably mm-hmm. got, uh, if, I, if I don't have the answer, um, I probably know somebody in the industry that uh, does have the answer. Yeah. And I just, I just want to springboard off of what you just said is understanding that y- whatever you're feeling, a lot of other people have been through it. Oh my gosh. Like, I, I'm, have yeah. you ever felt stressed out or burned out being a veterinarian? Oh my God, who doesn't at some point? Like it can go through, I can have it, all the emotions in one day. Right. Um, I can go through and have like, like and I go through weeks where there's stress and, and you're wondering how you're going to get things done. And then one more thing comes on top of it. Like we've all gone through that. And, and I would say that um, we get through it and we get through it together. And, and if you talk to your colleagues and friends, um, just don't suffer in silence ever. Like we're out there and we want to be able to help each other do it. Right. Um, I've, I've lost friends, dear friends um, uh, in, in the industry um, that have taken their own lives. And it's, it's so sad because these people are not only friends, but they're loved universally. They're so good. And, mm-hmm. and you know, what, what, you know, the, the cross that they're bearing that is weighing so heavily as to make such drastic decisions is it's so difficult because there, there is another solution that's out there. Right. Um, we can do it and we can find it. And, and, you know, with veterinarians, whether it's in veterinary medicine or whether it's somewhere else, the skills are so universal. Um, you know, we're, we'll always find people jobs. It's, yeah. That's there's ways the to solve it all. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We do it together. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why I love these podcasts because I get to meet people that are all on my team. <laughs> yeah, right. We are, we all want the same thing. Right. Uh, delivery of best care, um, uh, top level uh, customer service to the owners as well. Um, new and innovative ways of delivering medicine and, and care and surgery, whatever that might be, and making the profession better and better and better. And I think that if you look from the outside in, um, people really respect the veterinary profession and they respect veterinarians and veterinary technicians. And if, as long as we're being stewards of our profession as we move forward, it's only going to get better. Absolutely. I love that. Well, I think that's kind of a good place to end. Is there anything else we want to say? I just really thank you. We can always come back. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it, it's just been a real pleasure. Like I, I the opportunity to be able to uh, come on and talk about some of the things, not only very personally in my life, I think the, the vet profession in general, uh, the new opportunity with the vets and, and what that's able to do and why we're offering that and why it's important to come out and making people aware of that so that uh, we can start to deliver even more and more care. And if people are interested in coming to work for us, let's let's talk. Um, we can, uh, we can we're, if we're not in your city already, we'll be in a city near you soon. So, yeah. you know, that's that's the goal. But um, yeah. the, these opportunities to talk about veterinary medicine, um, I think they're fantastic. So thank you yeah, for the opportunity. Well, congratulations on all that you've done and all that you're going to do. Well, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for taking the time and the interest in, in uh, me and, and my career. Yeah, it's been fun. Okay, everyone, have a beautiful week. This is Dr. Zach Mills, and I really appreciate you being here and hope, uh, hope that things continue to go well. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>